servant of God, Julia Greeley, once said, My communion is my breakfast. Welcome to the 89th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, a production of the Grexley Podcast Network. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want all of us to remember that in everything we do, every step toward wellness we're able to take, we need to recognize that it all starts with God. He makes it possible. He gives us strength, healing, and community. And He, in that sense, is our breakfast. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. This probably doesn't come as a shock, but a recent study showed extroverts were likely to suffer higher mental health toll during COVID than others. The Guardian gives background. Individuals with open and extrovert personalities experienced higher deterioration in their mental health than other personality types, according to research by the University of Glasgow Academics based on the biggest running study of its kind. Open personalities, a widely used definition of people who tend to be curious and keen to try new things, were linked with a particularly marked increase in mental health problems in January 2021. Overall, a quarter of people who had moderately open personalities showed at least one additional symptom of mental deterioration. By contrast, people whose personalities were judged to be dominated by agreeableness experienced less negative mental health consequences, according to analysis of the UK Household Longitudinal study known as understanding society. Agreeableness is a personality category widely used by psychologists and indicates a desire for social stability, altruism, and consideration of others' needs and feelings. Extroversion is linked to sensitivity to social rewards, and so it was always likely that the lockdown would have a negative effect. However, this was only true in the first part of the pandemic, suggesting they found ways to get that feedback possibly through channels such as social media. The findings appear to support a study of U.S. college students at the University of Vermont in which higher levels of extroversion were found to be related to decreases in mood as the pandemic progressed, in contrast to those with lower extroversion for whom there was a slight increase in mood over time. Back to me. So while the result of this study may have been predictable, it reminds me of something that I feel is very important for us as we move through the ups and downs of life. We have to build self-awareness, learn our triggers, learn what brings us peace versus what brings us anxiety, and be honest with ourselves about who we are as individuals. And then we need to work to use that information we've gained about ourselves throughout our life to prepare for life's predictable up and downs as best we can and to learn what coping skills may be best for us in a given stressful situation. Whether we're introverts or extroverts, sensitive and empathic or stoic and not as feelings-based, we can learn and practice ways to best approach situations that might pop up in our lives, and this can be a key for us when the going gets tough. Some people like to use personality tests to work through this kind of thing, but an even better approach may be to just sit down and think about past events that have come up in our lives. We can even put some of this down on paper if we really want to work through it. Think about our feeling and response to those events. Think about how we made it through, what made it easier, what made it stressful. What would we do differently given everything we know now? And we can take that information to really help ourselves when similar events pop up like that again in the future. Never forget that you are the best expert on yourself and be open to utilizing that expertise to move toward wellness 
wellness and better mental health. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request. And today, I'm here to introduce you to St. Albert Chemilowski. Born in 1845 on the outskirts of Krakow, Poland, into a noble family, Albert was the eldest of four children, and due to a lack of priests in the area at the time of his birth, Albert received a lay baptism six days after he was born. When he was just eight years old, his father died, and when he was 18, his mother passed away, and Albert went to live with his aunt, and after homeschool, he went to advanced studies with plans to manage his parents' large estate. He became involved in politics and the military and even fought in a battle against the Russians where his horse was killed and his leg was damaged to the point of needing to be amputated. He was actually captured and taken to an enemy hospital, but somehow escaped by hiding in a coffin before fleeing to Belgium after Poland fell. At this point, he began painting, and his art was so well-loved that it started to be shown in exhibitions across Poland. His work includes 61 oils, 22 watercolors, and 15 drawings. He became quite famous, and his aversion to this fame actually led to a depression so intense that he had to be hospitalized. While going through this, he felt close to the poor and forgotten of his area and left painting to live as a beggar among those in need. He still did some art on the side, and while working on an image of Christ one day, he had perceived a religious vocation and entered the novitiate of the Jesuits, but faced terrible anxiety about his decision and decided to not join the order. He soon discovered the rule of St. Francis of Assisi, which inspired him in 1887 to join the Third Order of St. Francis, and he took their habit and the religious name Al. Albert. He died on Christmas Day in the homeless shelter that he helped establish. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. O God of infinite love and mercy, look at the merits of St. Brother Albert, who following the example of your son became a brother of all people, and by his humble service to the most abandoned and outraged rescued their human dignity and aroused faith in your divine providence. Through his intercession, deign graciously to grant me the favor for which I ask you with trust that all those listening to this podcast feel the peace and love of God flood into their hearts this very day. Saint Brother Albert, intercede for us. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Rebecca gets us started. In the last four months, I've been diagnosed as having generalized anxiety disorder, and just last week, I was diagnosed with binge eating disorder and ADD. I'm on meds for all of them, but it's a struggle coming to terms with the different diagnoses. How do you learn to stop beating yourself up over stuff like this? How can I come to terms with my diagnosis and learn to heal? Let's take a moment to join together in prayer for Rebecca and everyone working hard to move toward mental and emotional well-being that God may pour comfort into their hearts and that the knowledge of how strong they are just for reaching out may wash over them. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. First off, I want to say what a blessing it is that you've reached out to get this help and are moving through the healing process. 
know that we'll all be praying for you as you go forward. It can be really hard to go through treatment and receive diagnoses for a few different reasons. One is that we can feel like a diagnosis might not be correct, and, and the other is that we can start to feel like a part of who we are has been pathologized. No matter the experience, we all want to move toward coming to terms with these ideas and toward healing, but how do we do it? Well, for starters, I want to remind everyone listening that you are the best expert on yourself. A therapist or a provider is listening, observing, making connections that help them arrive at a diagnosis, but you know yourself. You're with yourself and your deepest thoughts all the time. So I want to empower you to know that you can also look into the DSM for the criteria of the mental health diagnoses online and consider for yourself what may or may not fit. And then I want to empower you to bring that up to your provider, share your thoughts, and open them up to a conversation that may lead to them having a better insight around what precisely is going on for you. I know as a therapist, I would totally appreciate a conversation like that. So next, in terms of learning to stop beating yourself up and coming to terms with certain diagnoses, remember this, there is nothing you did to give yourself a mental health condition. There is nothing that you should have done differently to avoid the mental health experience you're going through right now. I want you to be able to look back on your life, your choices, all that you've done, and realize that you were doing the very best you could do in that moment, given what you knew, given all the other variables, and be at peace with knowing A, you aren't to blame for any of this, and B, you can always start in the present moment and move in the direction that you want to go toward for health and wellness. And since this is a religious podcast, in addition to being about mental health, I'll close with this thought. God loves you. God loves the you that you are right in this very moment. The you that is living with mental health symptoms. The you that is trying to come to terms with new diagnoses and trying to work on loving yourself and not beating yourself up. He loves you now. He wants you to find mental and emotional well-being, of course. He wants you to be at peace, sure. But he doesn't love you any less because of what you're going through. And I think that's important for us to remember because too often we feel unlovable or we feel that we need to get to some point of moderate stability and emotional health to even be the least bit lovable. But that simply isn't true. God loves us in the messiness of our lives, loves us in the desperate moments of hopelessness and despair. And he wants so deeply to journey with us as we move toward feeling better. Anonymous is up next. Could you share some things about anger and how it's unhealthy spiritually and mentally to walk around angry all the time? So let's start by praying for all of us who struggle with anger and eventually depression because of that anger that God may give us peace, calm, patience, and a clear path and direction toward healing. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Anger is bad for us, this much is clear. From a faith perspective, we see anger mentioned in the Bible multiple times, just to point out a few here to paint a picture. Psalm 37, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Proverbs 14, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is a, has a hasty temper exalts folly. And then Proverbs 15, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. 
Ephesians 4, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And again, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And perhaps most important, Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said to your ancestors, you shall not kill and whoever kills will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Anger is also bad for us from a physiological standpoint. Consider this from better health. Anger triggers the body's fight or flight response. Other emotions that trigger this response include fear, excitement, anxiety. The adrenal glands flood the body with stress hormones such as the adrenaline, uh, such as adrenaline and cortisol. The brain shunts blood away from the gut and toward the muscles in preparation for physical exertion. Heart rate, blood pressure, and respiration increase. The body temperature rises and skin perspires. The mind is sharpened and focused. This constant flood of stress chemicals and associated metabolic changes that go with ongoing unmanaged anger can eventually cause harm to many different systems of our body. Some of the short and long-term health problems that have been linked to unmanaged anger include headache, digestion problems like abdominal pain, insomnia, increased anxiety, depression, high blood pressure, skin problems like eczema, heart attack, and stroke. Add to that the incredible strain that anger puts on our relationships with others, and you can really start to see that allowing our anger to prowl about unchecked can get us into serious trouble. So here's a couple more thoughts from Better Health to give us all a few things to practice as we try to move toward better mental health. Suggestions on how to express your anger in healthy ways include, if you feel out of control, walk away from the situation temporarily until you cool down. Recognize and accept the emotion as a normal part of life. Try to pinpoint the exact reasons why you feel angry. Once you've identified the problem, consider coming up with a different strategy to remedy the situation. Do something physical, such as going for a run or playing a sport. Talk to someone you trust about how you're feeling. The way you typically express anger may take some time to modify, so some suggestions include keep a diary of your angry outburst to try and understand how and why you got mad. Consider assertiveness training or learning about techniques of conflict resolution. Learn relaxation techniques such as meditation or yoga. See a counselor or psychologist if you feel angry about the events that occurred in your past and exercise regularly. I hope that helps. Mitchell wraps us up. What are your thoughts on the document accompanying people in psychological distress in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic? So many of us may not have heard of this document before. I know that was me before Mitchell sent it my way, but it's definitely worth talking about. And I think we can just start by joining in prayer for our church, for leadership, for bishops, for the entire Catholic community to live out our gospel call to walk alongside those who are suffering. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. This document was put together by the Vatican's Dicastery for Promoting Integral Human Development, and it came out in November of last year. I'll start off with a couple of introductory comments from the document. 
The COVID-19 pandemic, the first epidemic to spread globally, has laid bare our physical frailty and immune deficiency in the face of a virus that the human body does not recognize. Albeit all available means were used to treat the sick, the psychological suffering caused or worsened by the deep concerns over this unknown disease has been hardly considered. Most especially the loss of control over our personal existence and the life that we share with our loved ones has been a source of major concern. When medical expertise and treatments have suddenly proven unsuitable, ineffectual, or unsuccessful, the fear of the unknown has prompted the following questions. What will become of me? What will become of us? In a paradoxical and to some unsustainable way, we have regained awareness of our being made body and relationships, inner and social life, love and hope. These dimensions are all interconnected. When one of these suffers, our whole being is affected. We may say that mental health is right inner harmony among our subjectivity, our self-image, our interpersonal relationships, identification, recognition, and the objectivity of our human history, events, and interpretation. Psychological distress may range from, range from melancholic depression to suicide, but it serves us as a reminder that we exist with the other. And when this physical or symbolic closeness is jeopardized, we may go through states of anxiety, episodes of violence, and suffering. This experience is both personal and communal, as it incarnates perfectly St. Paul's analogy of the body, if one part suffers, all parts suffer with it. So back to me. As I mentioned, I didn't know this document existed, and just starting with the introductory remarks, I have to say that I'm impressed with the approach. I'm impressed that an official document from our church deals with our current situation in such clear and compassionate terms. It's 22 pages in total, so I'm not going to touch on everything, but I definitely would recommend you taking into a, taking a look into it and, and letting me know what you think. I'll explore two more portions that caught my attention. The first is on the temptation to despair and the thought of suicide. Despair is the consequence of a solitude that touches the intimate point of being, that inner place of the encounter between experience and sensitivity. When we no longer expect anything from life, or when we no longer expect anyone, the horizon of existence can close like night falling on day. For what and for whom do we have to get up, take up our challenges, and offer our talents, our knowledge, our love? We come to look down on others and ourselves, and the feeling of failure takes precedence over any other thought. It has often been said that some suicides or attempted suicides are cries for help, a muffled cry to say that we still exist and that we need to be recognized and loved. Sometimes suicide is the ultimate expression of a freedom that has not found its place in the connection to speak for itself. In the text of the gospel according to St. Luke, we remember the prodigal son who wanted to live fully his autonomy and who plunged into despair. In the depths of his solitude, he remembers his father and makes the decision to join him and to ask anew for trust and forgiveness. His father, who is waiting for him and who sees him from afar, runs toward him and opens his arms to him in the joy of finding his son. For he says, my son was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. The father is still waiting for his child who was lost. The challenge for ourselves, brothers and sisters, of those who are desperate is to hold ourselves in the discreet attitude of the angel who offers support, simple and delicate, to the brother or sister who no longer has the strength to live. 
back to me again. I'm truly, I'm taken aback by these words from an official Vatican document. I think the openness to the experience of those who have contemplated or attempted suicide here is truly profound. We sadly don't typically hear this type of treatment of suicide in our church. And I, I sincerely hope that priests and religious and lay folks can take this bit and expand it further so that we truly begin to understand our role in the lives of our sisters and brothers experiencing deep despair and suicidal thinking. Toward the end of the document, we hear a bit about accompaniment. It is urgent to create spaces of welcome in our ecclesial communities, as well as counseling and accompaniment centers. It is an opportunity to involve many lay volunteers who, under the careful guidance of their pastors, could be encouraged to offer their availability, time, healing and consoling presence. The accompaniment of sick persons must include their families. In fact, the whole family is affected by the events connected to illness, as this has major repercussions for family relationships and in general on the balance of family structure. It shall be the task of pastors to find the best ways to listen and accompany in order to help sufferers and their families draw near to the communion with God and their brothers and sisters. No matter the form of listening and accompaniment that we provide to suffering people, we cannot neglect prayer. Prayer sends a welcoming message and enables people to know that their communities are supporting them. Therefore, when possible, it is desirable to organize liturgical celebrations with mental health sufferers, their families, social and health care workers, and mental health professionals, volunteers, and all those who are an active part of healing the community that is the church. Back to me. I mean, this is exactly what those of us working to bring about mental health awareness in our church are striving for. It's spelled out right here, and it's absolutely beautiful. I don't even really know what to say except amen. I'll let the opening to the conclusion of this document speak for itself as I wrap up. Psychological suffering, always intertwined with the anxiety for a fleeting future, is never limited to a pain that drugs can mitigate and treat. However, Talking does not always mean voicing something. Talking means to be present, to listen to others, to their stories, and at times their silence. The word of God in the biblical narrative and in Jesus' preaching reveals the patience of the Father who calls each person to life and faith through passing through worry and death. This mystery of faith inspires anthropological representations and the schools of spirituality that consider the human person as a living being on the way to its fulfillment. Today, more than ever, we need the skills of experts in psychology, psychiatry, and social accompaniment. While respecting their specific expertise, dialogue enables all of a person's dimensions to be considered. The spiritual and psychological dimensions have many commonalities. We can and must encourage all the stakeholders to find common ground in order to promote the well-being of those struggling in solitude. The painful conditions that many encounter during their existence at times push them to the limit of their physical and mental strength. Only faithful friendship and fraternal closeness can offer them the uplifting and consoling fresh water of hope. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash grexley to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. You can also head on over to Ave Maria's website to pre-order the St. Dimpness Playbook book that's due out in November. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. 
And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.